Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This week, it is episode 45. Our guest is Jay McGuire of the Texas Hemp Federation. I hope that everybody has been staying hydrated and playing it safe out there because it's been over like 110 degrees. Man, it's a hot one, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. Yeah, I was checking geothermal earlier this week, and there's been a couple of days where the North Texas has been one of the hottest places on Earth. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so well, you know, I always said that Dallas should be seated over to Oklahoma, and we should just be done with it. And that this just further confirms my position. <laughs> Agreed. I live in Fort Worth, so I remember growing up out near Fredericksburg. And I'm reminding people, like, did y'all forget, like, the mid-90s when it got to be, like, 120 degrees? Did you forget that? Because I sure the hell didn't. <laughs> I remember leaving uh, I you, those little football kickoff tees. I remember leaving one outside, and I came back playing with friends, and the thing had melted into the ground. And it was like, <laughs> like, no. I remember the, the rubber seals around my, my 1988 Ford Tempo all m- melded together, and I couldn't even get the door open. Yeah, My we dad had, had to get a box cutter, and we have people's like recycling and like trash receptacles that you you know you put out at the drive. We have them melting here in in North Texas. So. Wow. Well, welcome to the show, Jay. We thank you for giving us your time. I want to start off asking you. You're obviously with the Texas Hemp Federation. Um, give us some That's background right. about you, how, like how you got into this. So I, uh, I have been a public affairs professional most of my career. I started working in the Texas Capitol in 1988 and have held, had held you know, numerous um, uh, menial positions. I was a tour guide and a messenger. Uh, I worked in the uh, Senate district office for the uh, then dean of the Senate, Senator Chet Brooks, God rest his soul. He was an awesome guy. Um, Went over to the Texas Lottery Commission during Ann Richards' uh, administration. And then George W. Bush won, and it was time for me to leave Texas and go to Washington. Uh, I then connected with uh, a now-defunct law firm, Bell, Boyd, and Lloyd, which was uh, headquartered in Chicago, where I, by pure luck, uh, connected with uh, a former uh, head of the Justice Department's criminal division, interesting guy i'll tell you the story some other time but suffice it to say that he was uh left in charge of the criminal division at 32 years old uh when all of the attorneys general above him resigned because of a little thing called the watergate um interesting point my former boss is one of the architects of what we now call the war on drugs uh as a house and senate judiciary committee uh council he helped to craft the legislation that created uh, or that wrap, uh, vastly increased penalties on marijuana possessions, uh, possession, you know, put a, uh, a stop to medical research on marijuana uh, and, you know, some other bad stuff. He also was uh, involved with uh, the militarization of the police. But when I met him and went to work for him, we had some really interesting clients, including one called Star Scientific that held a, a patent to reduce the carcinogens in tobacco. And so where I am now is, is a, how that, that, that one uh, engagement has morphed from uh, harm reduction technology for tobacco to harm reduction technology in vape 
to what I would consider to be harm reduction in hemp derived cannabinoids. So that's a, that's me in a nutshell. In a nutshell, I'm very condensed. One of the shortest to sweet and most of the point descriptions I think we've had on the show so far. I'm really, I'm really, I'm taken back by it. It's usually not that precise. It's you're dead on, man. I like how you, well, you know yourself, know thyself. I, you know what? I, I talk, I can talk about myself to my wife. I'm here to talk about the legal hemp industry in this state and the threats we're under and how we're going to win. So tell us about the Texas Hemp Federation. So um, right before COVID hit us, um, everybody, or I should say, all of the stakeholders in the Texas Vapor Coalition were beginning to transition into hemp. At the time, uh, smokable flour and CBD were really the only two, only two products on the market. But I was hearing that uh, companies were doing a lot of business in pre-rolls and, you know, little little uh, uh, plastic jars of hemp flour. And uh, vapes hadn't quite hit the market yet. But the research that I had read about described how CBD in particular was offering relief from a lot of conditions that a lot of people I know have. Um, my wife has rheumatoid, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I have neck and shoulder pain. Uh, my mom has uh, a chronic inflammatory disease. And, you know, I'm 52 years old. Everything kind of starts to creak a little bit around my age, and you sort of feel uh, the mileage, so to speak. And I thought, well, this is, this is a whole lot better than using Tylenol which can be toxic if you take too much. I had a really good friend die of uh, liver failure because she did not have health insurance and couldn't get uh, prescription drugs. And so she took Tylenol. Oh yeah, um, stuff will destroy your gut. It absolutely did, uh, the poor thing. She had a double transplant and she still couldn't make it. And her name was Misty Miller and she was just lovely from New Braunfels. Um, that's, a, uh, I digress. Um, and I thought to myself, well, what if these cannabinoids are the solution or could be part of the solution to this raging epidemic of, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Oxycontin addiction? Uh, I'm, I'm not getting the word right. In, opioids, in opioid addiction. Opioids, thank you, thank you. I've got long COVID up here going on. Um, because... I also have been a fraternity advisor at the University of Texas for a really long time. And, you know, we started seeing students um, buying opioids uh, as a party drug, which is, it, you, you wouldn't think so, but that happens. Um, and, and also a lot of like, I'm from Pasadena, Texas, a lot of guys I grew up with are working class guys. Uh, you know, work in the refineries and the the paper mill and the chemical factories or do something physical and they get injured and, um, you know, they hurt their back or their neck or, or a knee. And the first thing the doctor is going to give those guys or used to give those guys was Oxycontin um, and they get addicted. And some of those guys end up, you know, moving on to something else when they can't get the Oxycontin. So tramadol. I, I I know Tram tramadol because I've got RA and that's the first thing they tried giving me for my joints was tramadol. And it was like, no, right. no, get me off this. It, 
it's good for the pain, but it's not going to do anything with the inflammation. And that's what that's what Delta 9 and Delta 8 and some of the other uh, cannabinoids can do for you. Um, as we know now, when we when we created the, the federation, it was sort of a promise. So COVID happens. Uh, we come back in the next legislative session. Delta 8 had taken off and many of the Texas-based manufacturers, especially of vapes, were growing by 5X and 10X and 20X and they were they're making money. Uh, some of them real money for the first time and they're, they're leveling up their companies and bringing in executives from other fields uh, to help run the companies. And like when, when most of these guys started out, like in the vape space, they were just a bunch of scrubs wearing hoodies and flip-flops. Um, and now, um they have real real corporate uh offices and and you know people with mbas behind their names who can help them run the companies and CO, coos and cfos uh and chief marketing officers so the the potential loss of delta 8 uh could have been just devastating to the industry you know not just the manufacturers but also our distributors and also I think especially our mom and pop retailers. Uh, Senator Charles Perry from Lubbock, as you guys know, but I'll tell the audience, uh, is the chairman of the Senate Water, Agriculture, and Rural Affairs Committee. And legal hemp is in his jurisdiction because House Bill 1325, uh, two sessions prior, which was the the bill that conformed to the federal farm bill was supposed to align Texas law with federal law uh, is, was part of the agriculture bill. Um, I would argue that this belongs in the Health and Human Services Committee, but um, Senator Perry's got it in his. And really, his position is, has been remained the same. I've got to give him points for consistency. He's from Lubbock. He's, um, I, I think, a pretty deeply religious guy. He doesn't like things that get people intoxicated because he's probably seen what addiction can do to people. Um, you know, there are folks out there, and I, I've heard this and I've observed this. You know that he does he, he not want to have he doesn't want anyone to have any fun, and that may be true, but he also has a point. My point is that, so far as we know, uh, when an adult uses these products uh, as they are intended to be used. They're not really addictive and they offer such therapeutic benefit that uh, strangling uh, hemp in its cradle, which is what he wanted to do, would be a real um, a real disservice to the community. In Texas, fully a quarter of our population don't have health insurance and maybe another quarter cannot afford um, health insurance. So the first quarter doesn't have health insurance because they're so poor. And Texas was a state that did not expand uh, Medicaid. Those people can't go to the doctor. They go to the emergency rooms when something's really bad. That clogs up the system. That's a whole other topic. The other, the other tranche are working poor people um, who either have really crappy health insurance or just cannot afford uh, to go to the me medical marijuana um, uh, dispensaries. You know, you've got you've to go to the right doctor, and there are not a, a lot of them. And you got to go to the right dispensary and pay a lot of money for what I know now is has been not not the case today, really crappy stuff. And 
when we can provide something better, um, what has happened is that puts us at odds with the teacup program. And I think Senator Perry even said that, that he didn't want anybody competing with teacup or, or the medical marijuana program in Texas because they had it locked down so tight, quote unquote, meaning in Texas, uh, the conditions uh, are actually enumerated by law in the statute. Other places, the the health agency, like like Dishes in Texas, Department of State Health Services, would conduct a review with with you know scientific and physician input and develop that list. So rheumatoid arthritis, chronic pain, other things that you would think um, medical marijuana would be uh, used for um, aren't. Uh, and Senator Perry said the reason that he didn't want chronic pain in the last bill was that he he thinks that that could easily be faked. So that is his attitude going in. He started the hearing at last uh, at the uh, like early May of the last session with a box of uh, hemp tiles, flooring tiles made from fiber. And he said, this is the only that. thing this is the only thing the legislature, as though he speaks for the whole legislature, intended when we passed House Bill 1325. Now, I know that's not true. I know it's not true um, because I was working that session. I talked to people about it. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't my only issue, but it was important. Um, and so I paid attention. And, you know, I get that he's from an agricultural area. I get that there's a lot of promise for the use of hemp fiber uh, in building materials and clothing, you know, all sorts of stuff. But the cannabinoids are, are what the market is looking for right now. Um, and, you know, I hope the uh, I hope the building industry and, and the, the agricultural hemp industry does as well as we do. The Texas Hemp Federation represents all aspects of the of the hemp industry. We've got growers, um, both uh, farmers and hydroponic growers. Um, we've got laboratories. We have manufacturers. We have distributors. We have retailers. Um, and our goal is to maximize the potential of this plant in any way we can. But um, my personal issue uh, is that there are people in the legislature who don't want the same thing and would like to see Delta 8 and the other cannabinoids uh, banned. Well, we got to get a sponsor break in real quick. We got to break it up here and there. Shout out to the people who are helping that in mind. I am Jesse Williams. I'm your host here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zam Hariri this week. This is episode 45. Our guest is Jay McGuire of the Texas Hemp Federation. We will be right back after our sponsor messages.
Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Man, I'm it's been a heck of a day. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zamhariri. This show is episode 45. Our guest this week is Jay McGuire of the Texas Hemp Federation. Man, any way you want it, that's the way you need it. That's the way you get it, right? That's right. Yeah, kudos. Kudos to the Van Halen intro and then now Journey, like just stacking up. I mean, this playlist <laughs> is straight fire tonight. Was it you who picked it out? Hi. So, Austin, I know um, we were talking beforehand. Um, I know it's on your mind. It's about the work the Hemp Federation has done with uh, Sky and Hobbs. See, if you, if, you, if you had a particular question you wanted to ask about with that. Well, I mean, Jay kind of started talking about the legislature, and it's funny because, you know, um, those of us who actually spend time in that building, a lot of our our paths and our agendas kind of converge, and, and, and you know, we all kind of walk in this, this um, crisscross pattern uh, from an advocacy standpoint. And so, you know, we were there, and I, was, I know I'm tracking back a little bit, but I know we were there. Uh, I was in the Senate uh, gallery when um, we had a penalties reduction bill that would have mm. decriminalized up to two ounces of Delta 9 concentrate. Uh, it was Rep. Moody's bill, got a supermajority in the House, and upon third reading, we get a pause, you know, pass this first reading, pass the second reading, third reading, we're like, oh my God, this is actually, actually going to make it to, it's going to make it to the finish line. And sure enough, mm. 
after second reading, in between second and third reading, we have about a 10 to 15 minute pause. We come back, none other than Senator Perry gets on, gets on and tries to, uh, or, and then introduces this Delta eight amendment to a penalties reduction bill, effectively adding penalties to a penalty reduction bill. Um, and so my, I guess my question is, is, and I, I understand Senator Perry is, um, you know, he's a senator out of Lubbock and whatnot, but how, how uh, much influence do you think comes from the president of the Senate on this topic? Well, the, the Lieutenant governor in Texas has a great deal of power as you know, like compared to other States where many of them, it's, he's just a figurehead in Texas, the Lieutenant governor by rule, has the sole power of recognition, which means if you're one of the 31 members of the Senate and you stand up holding your microphone, you have to be recognized before you're permitted to speak. That also means you have to be recognized before you can talk on a bill or introduce a bill or an amendment. And so if if the lieutenant governor um, does not want you to speak, um, he can simply not recognize you. So that. That that one rule actually is is I I think uh, having worked in that in that building and started my career in the Senate I think that one rule is sort of the basis uh, of Texas lieutenant governors generally of, of their power so you know you'll see that there are commissions where the the governor gets some appointments the speaker gets some appointments and the lieutenant governor gets some appointments some of that has to do with our history uh, in a distrust of concentration of executive power. Uh, that started after the Civil War, um, having to do with a, a northern general who was put in charge of the state uh, during occupation. But I digress. Um, so here's what here's my thought on on the Senate. The Senate is probably going to continue to do more of what you saw. Um, Senator Perry, I think, has not changed his position. Although we're going to try to talk to him and show him some of the evidence and some of the studies that have come out, you know, since a couple of years ago, um, when we get into the session this next time and see if, if we can change his mind. Um, and, and we'll be talking to the lieutenant governor as well as all of the all of the members, uh, because every member uh, has people who need these products and every member has vape shops and CBD stores and you know, some of them have head shops that carry these products. And so it's a constituent issue in more than one way, small businesses and constituent health. I, I, I'd like to also say that Delta eight is heavily um, utilized by veterans. Um, I'm not going to talk about uh, the, the organizations that we're working with because they can speak for themselves and should, but I think that one thing you guys might have noticed in that hearing is that anyone who spoke in opposition to Senator Perry uh, was treated pretty harshly. And, and frankly, he was just a jerk uh, to all of us. And now I've got a thick skin because I've been there before. But, you know, the the small uh, CBD store owner and small manufacturer, they're not used to having to be. Yeah, no, they're not. And and also there was a definite element of race going on there, too. Um, you know, he 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 talked to one guy who uh, whose family owns a lab 
and you know who's studying pharmacology because he thinks this is really important um you know the dad couldn't be there because he was running the lab or something and and said we have so many employees and we pay this much in taxes and perry cut him off and said well the cartels pay taxes too (laughs) yeah i know i I don't know where that came to (laughs) it came from and then and then something you know like the the people that were there to testify in favor of what he wanted to do like one guy got up he was wearing like a really uh natty suit you know like he's he's actually a tailor um it was like a like a 19th century looking plaid suit i know exactly pretty, who you're it, talking about but i'm not gonna was, say their name out of respect uh, for it them. was it no it was absolutely awesome and i don't think i could pull it off because i'm too fat but he looked awesome in it and he was talking about like he married into a sixth generation uh texan family and they own so many acres and they have so much under cultivation and you know perry treated him with great respect in fact even came over and shook his hand before he walked up to the dais and afterwards i was thinking you know you shouldn't have to be married into a sixth generation texas family to deserve to be treated with the civility and respect that the texas senate used to be uh known for uh i don't have didn't have anything against the the other witnesses but senator perry's discrimination against those other people meaning us was very evident and that's a clue to how he views the industry um and i'm hoping that maybe that's go ahead what what was the term he said during the committee hearing he talked about the oils and how it was he was like this is a byproduct like this is a side thing that just comes out of this and it's not the focus he he wanted to call it synthetic um as though you know because k2 and spice were partly banned on the on the notion that they were synthetic in the sense they were completely different chemicals that were being brought together to uh, mimic allegedly uh, marijuana and of course they didn't they caused all kinds of problems because they were basically you know being mixed in somebody's basement um you know maybe with the leftovers from making meth who knows and we we're we have nothing in common with you know that industry our stuff is you know for lack of a better word squeezed out of a natural plant um and you know cbd is pulled out of it and that is refined into delta 8 and some other can- cannabinoids so you know his his scientific grasp is pretty weak um but his ability to uh, browbeat people and demagogue an issue is is not in question he's really good at it um i didn't well, he, mean today to become all about charles perry but i'm trying to i'm trying to give your audience yeah. a sense of what we will be up against um no and so we killed we killed Sen- senator perry's uh version of the bill died the the house chairman stuck to the house position and would not uh cave in uh, to what Senator Perry wanted, and and God bless um, Tracy King, uh, the representative from Uvalde. He's that poor I love, man. Is, I love is, what he said at Lucky Leaf in Dallas about it. Was that he's like we had a version of this bill in the House, and everybody in the industry across the board was happy with the language. Absolutely. The farmers were happy. The industrial people were happy. The CBD shops were happy. Everybody was on board with this bill. And all of a sudden, they got manipulated in the Senate, and they tried sending back a bill that nobody wanted in the end, other than right. a few hands here and there. So, of course, I'm not right. letting that go. Well, you shouldn't. Um, I can tell you there were a couple of um, other trade associations, 
you know, like one man trade associations that got themselves um, in the mix and and really had other interests in mind, that being farmers and nothing against the farmers. We have farmers in our group. The the thing is, is that Perry basically made it an either or kind of situation for them. Oh, they had to have what's that? I said it made it a war. Yeah, it made it a war. They were in a position where the farmers needed extra time to leave the plant in the ground uh, before it was uh, tested and harvested. I think I have that right. It was absolutely crucial uh, to agriculture. And Perry was basically saying, well, I'm going to put this Delta 8 ban on here or you're not going to get what you want. So you better help. Um, I'm imagining that's how the conversation went. Well, there was a lot of livestock feed. Livestock yeah. feed was another thing where they're like, oh, if you want the livestock feed thing, the Delta 8 has to be on their band. And it was like, why? That's right. In fact, the guy in the plaid suit, I think, was talking about making deer feed, um, which I thought was incredibly cool because there's a lot of byproduct or waste that can be used for something really, uh, you know, really great. And also, how how Texan can you be manufacturing deer feed, um, you know? The, the, that should warm the cockles of every hunter's heart. Gillespie County would eat that up. <laughs> Absolutely. And you'd think those guys up in Lubbock would think the same, but alas, no. So, um, you know, that did start a war, and that was really unfortunate because it split the industry, which was exactly what I would do if I were in Senator Perry's position, find a way to break up that coalition. Um, and he was successful at that, but not at getting his version of the bill passed. And so... Um, you know, we, we sort of walked away feeling pretty good about the session. Later on, we got word that Dishes was taking a look at banning Delta 8 by rule. That did not seem to go anywhere over the summer and the fall. And then in the fall, um, another, another uh, supposed trade association leader sent everyone in the industry a lengthy memo um, saying that he had determined, he had determined Delta 8 was illegal. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in between there. So Delta 8 is illegal in the first paragraph. And in the last paragraph, it was get rid of all of your inventory, liquidate it. So I called him and I pointed out that if you're, firstly, you, you know, he's not a lawyer. He didn't seem to have consulted a lawyer. But with his background as a journalist, he'd come to that conclusion. Um, I pointed out that saying, you know, if, if you were right, that Delta 8 was illegal, just telling people to get rid of what was on their shelves and in their warehouses would be conspiracy to commit the crime that you're, you're saying that, you know, hemp is illegal. So that, that was not a good conversation because we ended up uh, at odds with each other, but that will tell you, you know, how easy it is for industry people to uh, get split from one another. Um, and so Dish has published uh, its October surprise, partly as a result, I think, of that of that uh, guy's agitation or uh, instigation. Texas Hemp Federation, along with Hometown Hero, which uh, presently holds the, the board presidency, Lucas Gilkey, got to give a shout out to my dude. What, um, what? We fought. What, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we uh, together, I, I, at his request, assembled uh, what we call the dream team. We have awesome lawyers. Uh, David Sergi was our litigator. Andrea Steele of Fox Brown in Houston was our subject area expert. She knows cannabis law inside and out. Our appellate lawyer, Scott Field, former, uh, who's a judge on the Third Circuit Court, 
now in private practice, uh, advised us about what the uh, what the appeals process should look like. And we have a couple of others uh, involved as well. Uh, Rod, Rod Kite, Ron Kite, who's a sort of nationally known lawyer expert uh, on cannabis, all cannabis matters. And we basically brought this team to the district court. And I think you guys probably saw uh, the, the proceedings. Um, the temporary injunction we were seeking was granted on the basis that dishes and the state had failed to provide adequate notice as the law, administrative procedures law in Texas requires. Uh, there were a number of other factors involved. You might have noticed that the uh, Deputy Attorney General, uh, Cynthia, I can't remember her last name now, Cynthia was really just laying into me, uh, making it personal. You know, and, and I've always thought that when there's an ad hominem attack in a, in a legal case or a, a legislative hearing, that means the other side just doesn't have anything. Uh, and, and she couldn't defeat uh, what we had in our uh, evidentiarily and our legal arguments. So the judge didn't even rule on the substance of the ban or whether Delta 8 was good or bad. She ruled on uh, dishes violating uh, Texas law. And here's the thing. We all think, we all suspect that Senator Perry and maybe the lieutenant governor called Commissioner Hellestad at dishes and leaned on him to get this done. But keep in mind, he's an, he's not an elected official; he's an appointed official. So yeah. he's got to be responsive to the. Well, politics. we need to we need to go into our next sponsor break here. <laughs> we I know we could talk about this subject for hours on end for sure, and it's a very interesting topic. But I know we have a member who's gonna who's got other appointments that they got to attend to. So we're gonna we're gonna go to our next sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host Jesse Williams. I'm your host here, Austin Zamhariri is my co-host this week. This is episode 45. Our guest is Jay McGuire of the Texas Hemp Federation. We'll be right back after these sponsor messages. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. 
Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. My co-host, Austin Zamahreri, joining me this week. This is episode 45. Jay McGuire is our guest this week of the Texas Hemp Federation. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. Loving wonderful. the music. Still, Golden Earring. What a band. I'm surprised you know that. Like, Not many people uh, know about Twilight Zone by Golden Earring. They know Radar probably, Love, but not, Golden, but not, not probably, Twilight Zone. 1982, maybe, when I was in 7th or 8th grade. They came and performed at the Pasadena Town Square Mall. And, man, that was awesome. Oh, when I you're imagine. in junior high school, you get to see a band like that. So I love I love Radar Love and, Go- and Golden Inner Rings, uh, The Twilight Zone. My wife says that uh, she she always confuses Twilight Zone with uh, Pink Floyd's Run Like Hell. Because the bass <laughs> oh, I lines. I could see that. I could totally see that. The bass lines are very similar. Austin, what's on your mind before I know you have to head out? Oh, um, I wanted to train. I know that I kind of put put us off on a tangent earlier just because I was so intrigued by the the talk about the the legislature. Hey, we only got six months until we're there again. Um, That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I did want to transition into what you had mentioned earlier, Jesse, which was about the Sky and Hobbs situation that happened in Navarro County. We had Sky and Hobbs on uh, several weeks ago. And uh, just hearing that tragic story of, of how the state can, can, not just the state, but local municipalities can air so, so terribly. And it can really impact people's lives, their life savings, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and, and kind of how the, the Hemp Federation came in and and manage that situation. If you can just expound on that for me. I mean, I'm glad to. Um, Jesse was actually the one who pointed out what was going on um, uh, with Hunter, who was the one of the owners who got arrested um, and had felony charges pending against him. And the, the poor man, you know, he looks like a young Matthew McConaughey. He just looks like a Boy Scout. He's a disabled uh, Navy vet. Um, he's polite. He's smart. Um, and there was just nothing about him that I 
could imagine would trigger um, a police department looking at him like he was a criminal. Um, and that may be, you know, me stereotyping, but they do too. And when I met him or I talked to him, his life was turned upside down. Yeah, the, the, the police and the justice system is vested with enormous power. And if you don't have, um, aren't represented, first off, with the right kind of lawyer, not all lawyers are equal or the same, uh, if you don't understand the justice system, um, you, then, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to twist in the wind until there's action taken on your case. And that's what happened to Hunter. So I, I took the, I, I talked to him and I, I immediately uh, figured out that there was a real problem with uh, the, the state's case against him. I took it to David Sergi and David came to the same conclusion. He's the lawyer, I'm not. Um, and we both agreed that we would a help Hunter, um, because he needed it. You know, I think it was hurting him in lots of different ways, job wise, family, community. Um, you know, it had to be messing with his head, uh, because it would with me. And, uh, he and I talked quite a lot and we, we, he talked to David a lot about his case and, and he and I touched on that, but I really wanted to get to know him. And I wanted him to under, to know that the Texas Hemp Federation and Jay McGuire, the guy, cared about him um, because nobody in our industry should be um, uh, oppressed in that way uh, without us standing up. And that's what we did. So we, we discovered um, through talking with uh, Hunter's lawyer that the district attorney have sort of dragged their feet on discovery, which is like they have to give the defense attorney all the evidence that they have that they're going to use against the defendant. Not only did they drag their feet, when they finally responded, they, they turned over a corrupted electronic file that was useless. And subsequent requests were, you know, just ignored. Big red flag. So we began to question, where do the samples come from? Um, which laboratories did you send them to show us the chain of custody of the samples? Um, and they couldn't, you know, they, they basically came in when no one was there, who knows where the samples came from. Uh, it certainly wasn't one of the hydroponic plants that they were growing up there in Corsicana. Let me point out, these guys had all their licensing from the Texas department of agriculture, uh, in line, like perfectly, um, uh, in line and they had all of their certificates of, um, analysis or COAs from their lab. They had picked seed specifically, uh, to come in below 0.3%. They, they researched the genetics. They, they researched this for a year. And so that's why it was particularly egregious because probably what we think happened is the police captain up there it's like muscle memory. He is a drug warrior, man. You know, he, he grew up in that generation of, of police that my old boss, you know, helped empower uh, when when they uh, ramped up uh, sanctions federally and the states followed. Um, and so in a sense, it's hard to blame them, but but not because they should know better because the law the law changed. Um, and just because he's he suspected 
it was an illegal marijuana grow and not a hemp grow should not have meant that he sent the SWAT team in to destroy everything and then ruin Hunter's life. Um, that it, that in itself is a tremendous misuse of state power against a, against a citizen. So um, on the basis of the things that we just we just discussed, uh, you know the the lack lack of response to discovery, questions about the chain of evidence, questions about where the sample came from, questions about the lab whose results uh, uh, differed from the COAs. Um, you know, Sergi pointed all of that out uh, to the DA, and then the charges were dropped just a few days with, before Hunter was scheduled to go to trial. So with, I'm saying with that in mind, with those types of items, what could we possibly be seeing for the future with this case, if there is a future for it still, for Sky and Hobbs? I, I really doubt um, Unless there's additional evidence that's uncovered, I really doubt that the the DA up there in Navarro County uh, would try to bring a case uh, against him. I think that if I were Hunter, I would be considering my options. Um, you know, perhaps a civil rights case because he did lose everything. He 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 lost his investment, but he also lost his peace of mind uh, and almost lost literally everything he had. Um, including, you know, ultimately his freedom, uh, all based on, you know, I, I don't want to say a lie, but on a non-truth. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, if I were in that position, I'd be looking to file a lawsuit. Um, we looked at it not only as a sort of a compassionate use of our time, uh, but also as a test case. We, we don't want to we don't want Senator Perry or any of the other prohibitionists to be able to refer to a successful prosecution against a member of this industry and use that to validate how they frame us as as, you know, sort of di dishonorable business people who have malintent. You know, he Senator Perry compared us to the cartels in that hearing. That'll tell you what he thinks. Uh, we're not. Um, Sky and Hobbs aren't. None of the other businesses that we work with in the Hemp Federation are anything like that. Um, but perceptions change slowly. So um, the test case, you know, Hunter, the Sky and Hobbs test case is just one. We've got a, a number of them in the pipeline. There's one fella uh, in uh, Brazos County uh, who's been locked up in jail uh, for, he says, uh, possession of a Delta eight or Delta nine vape made by one of our, one of our members, I won't mention them. And the police and the prosecutor say that it was concentrated THC uh, that was above the, the legal limit. And they keep coming back to him to, you know, sort of trying to force him to take a plea deal and he won't. So he finally heard about us and had to write us a handwritten note because he's in jail uh, and he can't get out of jail. Um, he's got gotten assigned a public defender, but, you know, they've got an enormous workload and they can't spend a lot of time on cases. So um, we're looking into it. Uh, that's just an example uh, where a customer uh, has been, you know, basically taken off the street and put behind bars for buying a legal product. Uh, if all the facts that he's claiming here are true, that's the case. Uh, we have to go and vet him and vet the the the, the, uh, the facts uh, before we do anything. 
but assuming, let's just assume that everything he's saying here is accurate, he shouldn't be in jail. Um, and no. we're going to do something about it to, to make sure he gets out. Um, be- because firstly, uh, first and foremost, most importantly, that guy shouldn't be where he is. This is a miscarriage of justice. And he's a customer who uses Delta 8, presumably for a reason, like stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, inflammation. He's not a criminal. Um, and he shouldn't be treated like one. Secondly, if... Uh, the prosecutors and the police are claiming that a vape that was manufactured by one of my members, uh, it tested hot. We want to know about it, and we want to make sure uh, that we have the ability to refute that. I am absolutely convinced that the the labs that the state uses um, are not accurately measuring uh, the concentration of Delta-9 THC uh, and aren't accurately measuring, for that matter, any other cannabinoids. So, you know, that's that's another project I'll talk to you guys about later on. We, we are going to convene a laboratory conference to try to establish some uh, baselines and a get consortium. standards. Have a, a, kind a, of. Create a consortium. Well, I, I mean, it, it, sort of a, a, a standard-setting body uh, where, you know, you can't venue shop for a lab, you know, there are, there are, uh, sort of, uh, disreputable labs, you know, some, some, some companies might get a a sample that comes back hot, uh, and they send it to another lab and, uh, it comes back, uh, compliant and they're going to go with the COA that's compliant because they've got all this money invested. We, that that's wrong on so many levels. First off, the manufacturer has to know exactly what's in the stuff that they're about to sell for people to ingest bottom line that has to be accurate and it's it's not just the not just the amount of of thc it's it's heavy metals it's it's bacteria like listeria it's there's all sorts of stuff they need to test for what's even worse is i don't think a lot of retailers have really paid attention to the law in texas they're the ones who get put on the hook for this in the end they're the ones the law says that customers and other agencies have to go after if there is a violation Yeah, that's right. I mean, surely the manufacturers and the distributors who handle that product will have some repercussions. But yeah, it's the small mom and pop people that are going to pay the the heaviest price. Um, So the goal there, guys, is to get, um, you know, as many as many labs as possible in a room together or on a Zoom call and talk about uniform methods uh, and uniform um, uh, items that they test for that we can all agree on uh, is complete uh, and can be referred to authoritatively. We don't have that today. And getting back to this case, we don't have that um, on the law enforcement side. They're, They're basically in a position where our labs are saying one thing and the state's labs are saying another, and how do they make this decision? They're probably gonna go with putting the guy in jail and seeing how it shakes out. That's what's happening, you know, with this poor fella uh, in Brazos County. Um, And, you know, I can understand where they're coming from. The other initiative that we're taking, uh, and then I want to get back to the smokable hemp lawsuit that we're about to file. The other initiative we're taking uh, is to create an educational curriculum for law enforcement. Uh, That will be starting um, with a, 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 
a new section of the state bar. Uh, Y'all might not know this, but David Sergi is a a board member of the Texas State Bar. They'll be creating a cannabis law section. And that cannabis law section's uh, purpose is to educate the lawyers, including prosecutors, district attorneys and the like, uh, about uh, hemp and hemp-derived products and what's legal and where the limits are. And we will also be talking to um, the police associations in hopes that we can begin educating police departments and sheriff's departments and individuals who don't know, uh, right? The, the federal farm bill required some education to go along um, with the legalization. And so far as I've been able to determine, and, and Hunter pointed this out with, uh, to me, there really hasn't been enough. And I, I want to think that if that police captain up there in Corsicana had been educated properly, um, it, this whole thing for might not have happened to Hunter. Uh, this fellow that's in jail in Brazos County, and there's lots of others, uh, might not be where they are. So that, that's one of, the, uh, one of the projects that the Texas Hemp Federation is taking on. Um, and why don't we circle back around to the smokable hemp case? Um, as you know, the Supreme yeah, Court... Yeah, for sure. The Supreme, Texas Supreme Court ruled against Crown Distributing, uh, which had sued uh, to overturn a ban on smokable hemp, um, and they lost. Uh, I know Mike Magani at Crown Distributing very well. We worked together in the Texas Small Tobacco Coalition. Um, he spent $1.5 million litigating this case, and he's headed to Oklahoma now, which is a, a shame. Um, it is absurd absurd that a Texas company is at a disadvantage versus an out-of-state company. Texas companies cannot manufacture or process smokable hemp or any other any other product, including Delta-8 or other cannabinoid-based vapes. Yep, so what that means is, yeah, but out-of-state, out-of-state companies, it's no problem. So what we have is kind of a... a, a the, the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution flipped on its head, where we have a Commerce Clause and the Dormant Commerce Clause in particular, because states would enact anti-competitive laws that prevented foreign companies, meaning not not of that state, either yeah. across uh, either overseas or other states, um, discriminating against them in one way or another to give an advantage to an in-state corporation. Never ever have I ever heard ever. In all the of us going I've against done, our own interest. Yeah, uh, you you'll notice every presidential biography behind me. I, I'm a I'm a poly, I'm a nerd basically. I'm a debate nerd. Just to be honest with you. Never heard of this happening before. And um, you know, so our legal team, the Dream Team, is right now uh, researching probable or or our likeliest pathways uh, to get in front of a federal judge and seek an injunction. Um, and, and one of those arguments might be that the state has basically twisted uh, the Commerce Clause uh, in the Constitution in a way that it can't do, because it actually is interfering with interstate commerce in a, in a, in a, round, in a backwards kind of way. And it blows my mind that this last session I brought forward during the House committee hearing, I mentioned, I was like, you know, it's my personal belief that if you wanted to sell a product in Texas – and you had a physical retail shop, warehouse, thing of that nature, that you should be required to get a COA 
of your own. You should be required to send off a sample test and get your own COA. I don't care if yeah. you got it from a lab in state, you got it from a lab out of state. And the reason for that was we were seeing a lot of phony products showing up on Amazon. Yep. Uh, Crown Distributing, Wild Hemp, Wild Hemp Pets was they had a lot. There was a lot of phonies of their products showing up on Amazon, and I was like, well, this would be a way. I saw in my eyes it would kind of force Amazon to have to do something. It's like, well, if this product's on your right. site, you're going to have the answer to our state now about this hemp product and where its COA is at. And I got backlash being told, you can't do that. That violates the commerce clause. You can't stop people from bringing product in, into our state. And I was like, well, yeah, you can't stop them from transporting it through the state. But as far as our retail goes, don't we have control of our retail operations? We sure do. Um, it, look, you're talking about counterfeited products, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's based, that's an intellectual property uh, issue. and. That's I'm a health issue. That's a health yeah, issue too. Yes. <laughs> Major one. You might be you might be surprised though that basically you can have a SWAT team come and kick in your door, arrest your employees, seize your safe, and take all of your inventory on what's basically a copyright and trademark infringement. Um, that happened to a distributor in Houston in the Harwin district, where there's just lots and lots of uh, Indian and Pakistani-owned distributors. Um, the, the, I'm not going to mention the company or the, the, the president's name, but he called to say that he had been buying uh, cake brand uh, vapor, uh, vape products uh, from a, a, the same distributor that they looked absolutely identical, um, that they, you know, they, they had all of the, the right packaging. So he didn't know. Um, and, and this is a brand, you know, I, let everybody know who doesn't know, this is a brand that when they came out, they touted we make boxes and packaging that can't be counterfeited. You can tell our product right. apart from everybody else's. And it's like one of the first ones that was like, that got counterfeited. I mean, easily. They probably didn't, they probably didn't think about it this way, but if you say something like that in public, someone's going to take it as a challenge. Well, and the, well, the silly yeah. thing was, I remember when it was done, they said, we put QR codes on our boxes and it's like, anybody can go make a QR code. That's not impossible. Sure this is sure rocket can. science. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it's the kind of thing that can be prosecuted after the fact. And if the, if the consumer loses faith that that QR code is going to a legitimate COA, that's going to really hurt the industry. So we really have to address it in, in some form or fashion. The counterfeit issue is especially dangerous because you don't know what's in that vape product. Um, Which is and, why we had and, the vape crisis. That's exactly right. I mean, it, you know, but it happens that, you know, nicotine vape, that wasn't, wasn't what was causing the problem. It wasn't was the issue caused, at all. Yeah, it was caused by counterfeited, uh, basically, marijuana vapes that contain vitamin E acetate that was screwing up people's lungs. But, uh, you know, our nation's news media, God bless their pointy little heads, uh, made it all about, uh, all about nicotine vape, which, again was harm reduction. You know, we have 45 million smokers in this country and nicotine vape is 50% more effective at getting people off of combustible cigarettes. And according to the British healthcare system, 90% safer than combustible cigarettes. It's it, again, absurd. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't make the laws. I just have to, you know, go out there and, and point things out when they're when they're screwed up. Well, I wanted to I wanted to we, we got to wrap this up here in a moment. 
to give you a chance. Any further thoughts you had, anything you know you got to get out there about the Hemp Federation, plug y'all's I, website where people can go and donate. Sure. Uh, just please go to www.texashempfederation.com. I didn't make the site. Uh, if you want to join the Texas Hemp Federation, we are in recruitment season. Uh, we currently have something approaching 260 members from all of those different uh, segments that I told you about. Um, we're looking for uh, board members. We are looking for companies that are able to contribute mindshare uh, and manpower uh, as well as money. Uh, none of this is cheap. Uh, as I told you, uh, Crown Distributing spent $1.5 million litigating their case. Uh I don't know what our case is going to cost. The lawyers are going to give me a preliminary budget, hopefully day after tomorrow. And I, I need companies to step up, uh, Texas companies particularly. But I will be soliciting out-of-state companies, uh, probably at the Champs uh, trade show in Las Vegas at the end of this month. It is in their best interest that this not stand. Um, so uh, I'm talking to them. I'm talking to the guys at, at you know all of the big manufacturers. I'm not going to name them. Come and talk to me, or, or at least take my phone call, uh, so that we can discuss why Texas is a pivotal state, the laws here matter, all the red states follow us, and we want to make sure that you can do business here as well. Awesome. Well, I thank you for your time, you coming here and joining us this evening. It's always a pleasure talking with you, Jay. You've always got great stuff to talk about. It's very... You're, able to, you're like me, you're able to take a complex idea and a complex system and put it in layman's terms. Um, as some of the, the advocacy agencies call it, legalese at times. Right. So I appreciate you're able to come here, do that for our guests. Like I say, can't be me all the time. <laughs> I need a fresh voice to, to spit this stuff out to people and reiterate it. So with that in mind, it is time to wrap up our show here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This week I was joined by co-host Austin Zam Hariri. This is episode 45 our guest this week was Jay McGuire, the Texas Hemp Federation. We're hoping everybody has a safe week here in Texas. Stay hydrated because we're going to have 100-degree temperatures for like the next week and a half, two weeks, if not longer. Um, I'm not going to put out ERCOT's advice of keeping your thermostat at 78 degrees because I sure the hell ain't doing that myself. I would sweat a swamp. <laughs> I would sweat a swamp in a week, and I'd probably have a heat stroke. It's not happening in this home here in Austin. It wouldn't be happening out in the hill country. So y'all stay hydrated, do what you can to stay cool. Everybody have a great week. Peace. Adios. Oh.